I'd like to begin with a trigger warning. This is completely, utterly mad. You're gone. So I'm just going to start this thing recording. Is that all right with you? Yeah, man. Let's roll. Okay. Well, I got to turn you down, though. You're you're a bit high. Hang tight here. Say something for me again. Talk, talk, talking, talking. If you have a topic, are we doing in time stuff? Uh, I don't know what we're gonna do at all. Honestly, uh, we may uh, get to end time stuff. I have a whole pile and list of things, but I also just want to catch up. I mean, it's been has it only been two weeks? I feel like it maybe has been three weeks, and our sound is still not very good. So I'm gonna keep tinkering with this here. I got this. Uh... I got the lav mic that I think it's coming through. So, all right. Well, uh, testing, testing. How long has it been since we talked? Talk about that while I'm listening to about, you. It might have been three weeks, two weeks. I can't remember. It might have been three weeks since we were. It might have been three or four since we were on the radio last week or the week before we were on Marco Polo. Um, but I wanted to Ooh. confess something to you, and that is that I finally come around to your idea. Okay, so uh, what's that? The uh. theological reboot of these things. Instead of just republishing, you just you got to reboot them. Yeah. And I'm I was so, visiting with one of my elders who's this I mean he's an engineer. Uh just a super bright guy. He reads a bunch of history. He's got, you know, advanced degrees. He read he just finished reading Echo <clears throat> and uh he's read my books and everything and I said, "Well, what about Luther, man? Time for Luther." And he says, I've tried. I can't do it. I can't understand it. Hmm. Well, that's kind of how it is. Last night, we did something from one of your books in my, my Knowing God slash Catechism class. And uh, someone had sent me an email about it. Now, I can't remember. Schmid? Uh, Theological Doctrines oh, uh, yeah. of something something. And it was a really great email I got. And I wanted to do – I wanted to show the class – public theology and say, look, I'm going to respond to this in real time here with you watching to try to have you learn how to think about what you're absorbing with your own theology, right? Um, but it was it was about this, this piece that is on the root of the word article and the use of the term articles when talking about subjects of dogma. Yeah. And uh, so we, we read through her email and then she had sent a clip of the book that you have republished. And I I read through that out loud and then sort of exegeted it to everybody. And it was really interesting how the first sentence or two was really useful. And then it was like we were in a – I was reading Greek out loud to them for the, the remaining of the paragraph. And I went back and I tried to say, OK, well, here's what he's saying and here's why. And I ended up actually saying, you know – it's, it really doesn't matter what he was talking about at all at that point. And like you had to do all this work to get to that point that it's not that what he said was wrong or or you know evil or anything like that. It just it's just not a point we're going to use right now. And and because you have to do all this work to parse the language to figure out this thing that actually doesn't matter. And if you do that enough in old works, which often is the case because they're so contextualized, uh, you end up really just. It, it can't compete with other information that comes more easy. That's an interesting topic right there. Like how much you, – you and I as we're doing efficiency stuff, 
we're always trying to remove the drag, right? Like I, I've learned that if I leave this little speed bump in the way of this thing I want to do every day, then I don't get it done. So I got to get that speed bump out of the way. Well, how much does that apply to the average person's intake of information as compared to reading a book from even 30 or 40 or 50 years ago when the language has – it really has changed. If you study lit at all, the language has been so changed. What do you think of that? Well, I mean it's a fine point. Um, but maybe there's like three things there because uh, – so I mean what we, we always want to be aware of reducing – language to transfer of information right hmm. um it, it, sometimes it is but language at its best is i so okay maybe let me uh, how do i get i was talking to someone a couple people yesterday about eugene peterson you know that guy eugene i do know peterson? him i don't really follow his stuff i did read a book or two by him way back in the day he's he died now oh really um yeah Maybe a year ago, but he was he um, was always up there though, wasn't he? I mean that wasn't mm-hmm, a that wasn't mm-hmm. a, a young death. So we went to visit him, uh the Doxology Collegium guys. So there's like six of us and we sat there for eight hours and interviewed him. And wow. uh, it was it was really interesting because he was really good at what he um at what he denied, but could not articulate the gospel. Hmm. I mean it was all for him, everything was church, not not Christ. It, which is, you know, just a temptation of modern theology. But anyway, what I noticed with it, because he's very poetic in his writing, and and he's the guy who wrote the message. He told me how he told me uh, in the conversation how much they paid him as a forward for the message, and it was, it was something like quarter million boxes. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, he, he was laughing, but but um. But he so everything for him was poetry, and I realized that this is one of the so there's a couple advantages to being a heretic, <laughs> and this is one of them is that if you don't have the efficacy of the word of God, then you're trying to make the words efficacious yourself, right? Right, and right, that's what poetry is, it forces you to be a poet. Um, which is just a, I mean, so this is a really kind of interesting conundrum. So, poetry is is not language not to transfer information, but it's something, it's something more than that. So I think we have, to, so you have to be careful, especially with the old, these old theologians had a sense that even if they're writing theology, it ought to be, it ought to be beautiful. Ah, so, so there's a, I think all that is just to say there's a danger in just trying to reduce the drag, but, but at the same time, we, we, well, if the let drag me... is beauty or poetry, that's one thing. If the drag is answering questions that people aren't asking and wrestling with archaic right. language, that's a different thing. Right, right. I don't think it's just the beauty or the truth that is in the way. The trick is you have heretics who want to make things work, and they go in to do changes, and they do think it's the beauty and the truth that's in the way. And so they get it out of the way and make the changes, and they give – well, frankly, they've given change, mission, a bad name. Uh, and so now the, the conservative Lutherans, at least I was in this boat, I was I, like I hated the word mission <laughs> for a while, uh, which is really silly, right? But it was because I was so opposed to the loss of beauty and truth in what was being done in the name of Jesus or what I see being done in the name of Jesus. But I'm, I, I've realized and repented of my dislike of the word mission. And uh, regardless of what anyone else may do, 
But I'm convinced now that these hurdles that are in the way to hearing are not doctrine itself, but frankly, human things are human things, which we have uh, created an idol out of. So, okay, so I've got a number of like my thoughts to talk about with Brian list here. And they're kind of random, but they kind of begin to hang together. But here's – these are things that like over the last couple of weeks just – they fell into my inbox from my hand and I don't really know what to do with them. They're not they're not part of any projects or anything like that other than they're just they're in my head. And I don't know what to do with them at all. But like I'm like, I know. I'll talk about them with Brian. <laughs> that'll that'll be cool, right? Yeah, next <laughs> action is talk with Brian about it. So uh, here's this one. So the LCMS – has been fighting to teach Luther's German in the King's English to speakers of Pidgin American in order to be able to tell them about Christianity. I'm going to say that one more time, right? I'm going to, kind of, I'm going to reverse it, though. Uh, in order to talk about Christianity, the LCMS has been fighting to teach speakers of Pidgin American English the King's English so that they can teach theology in Luther's German in the King's English. We're so hung up on the words as if the sounds are the words. And as much as I'm with you that language is more than information, um, words are certainly more than sounds. And we seem to be fighting for sounds from where I'm sitting. Yeah. What's an example? So what, what what's the first example that comes to mind oh. when you're trying to articulate this problem? The, the, well, the one that comes to mind is the one from last night, the word articles. Articles of faith is a meaningless term to anybody who's not trained in theology, completely meaningless, to the point where even when you – they kind of know it as jargon, they just ignore it and assume it means something valuable, and then they try to figure out whatever else is going on. At least this is what I'm getting to some extent last night from my own people as we're talking about this word, and they're finally opening up. I think the letter really helped They're op- – because I've been doing this for a couple of weeks now trying to talk about – Knowledge of God, that is theology, um, but using that kind of phrase, um, talking about the creator as opposed to just God, uh, talking about uh, animal instinct, uh, kind of thinking carnal instinct as a way of talking about sin. I'm just trying to get them to think about the uh, the whole thing in, in any way other than pastor said it, I will remember this, this term is the right term. And it was on the term articles last night that people really started to respond to things and say, well, I really like this other suggestion from the letter because the letter had suggested instead of articles of faith using something like essential elements of Christianity. And then my people latched onto it immediately. Um, I, I tried to make it sound all, all poetic and cool by having it be the quintessential elements. And they didn't want that. They wanted the, this just very simple, very straightforward. I want to know the essential elements of Christianity. Mm-hmm. I want that. Give me that. Right, as opposed to the articles of faith, that sounds like something the dentist might use, maybe. <laughs> I so I got two ideas on this. So okay, so number one, this is precisely why the Holy Spirit is not content to just establish the the church on a book, hmm. but that the word must be preached. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. So, Love it. Mouth house, man. Mouth house. So the, the there has to be, and and the and the preachers have to have ears, you know. So, um, so that there's a, there, but there. So, but we want to come to a, we want to come to a, a so so we want to come to a common language. This is the so so I don't think it I don't think it's right to uh, ab- abandon 
all of the the old terminology, certainly not the biblical terminology. Right. And yet we have to be very aware that even if it's in English, it's it's a different language. And so like this happened to me a couple of weeks ago because I was preaching on the word righteousness. And it occurred to me that the word righteous is not used outside of church Bible yeah. talk things. Except for skateboard culture in the 80s, but that's kind of past. Well, so I went I went to the Austin Statesman newspaper and I searched for the word righteousness. Right, you're not going to gonna see find if it. it comes yeah. up. And it did come up probably a couple dozen times, uh, always in letters to the editor by pastors. Oh, wow. That's great. <laughs> Love it. That, so oh, like, that proves okay, the now, point so, so well. Wow. So we have this word righteousness, which I, I think is not a, it's not like it's I've never heard that word before, you know, but it's just not part of our language now. So what are we going to do? In fact, so and maybe the half step to the side on this, this is coming up a lot as I'm learning sign, because sign language is such a secular language. Hmm. It doesn't have this deep history. I mean, it's very new and it's very dynamic. I mean, signs are changing every few months for different words. Huh. And just in the last couple of years, there was huge uh, movements to, to take the letters out of sign language. So it used to be that life, you would make an L with both hands and kind of go up your chest life. But now it's just thumbs up in front of your chest up like this like so you take the l out of life so that it's they're stripping away the left so it's it's moving all over and and so we'll come to these theology words and there's no word for them like there's no word for righteousness or for justification or even for peace the word for peace is to become calm uh so so i'm kind of as i'm trying to figure out how to translate these things over i'm realizing that that work has to be done not just in in ASL, but in just in our normal talking. But but here's the other thing, though, is I do not think that we've we've served. So so there's a double translation that has to happen. We got to take the prophets and the apostles and the orthodox theologians, and we have to translate them for the children today. Yes. But we also have to train the children to be able to communicate with them. In other words, if I don't actually, if I just give up on the word righteous and use something totally different, and I never bring people into that word, then I'm, then I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be serving them. Now, not everyone's gonna get there, but there's gonna be guys who need to know articles of faith. There's gonna be guys that need to be able to read the old right. theologians. Right. We gotta train those guys. Right. Up. Those are your seminarians, right? And and you just made a case for why. You just made the first case I've heard recently ever actually for why we need – we still need residential seminary education, why that's a good idea, and it's the languages because as good as anyone else might be at some distributed – right now it's SMP style of uh, pastoral formation, you do not have the intensive language study that is – is able to be done at seminaries. I'm not sure the seminaries make that a priority. So it's hard to argue about that being, it's not like all the guys coming out of either Fort Wayne or St. Louis, all are like keeping their Hebrew and Greek for the next 10 years. It, it is, it is certainly not geared to, to make that happen. I didn't have it happen, but the case for that 
to be able to go back to the original language because you have to make it your own and you have to do it from the actual words of God as written by the prophets and apostles. And as much as the confession of a former generation can be useful and the translation of the Bible into English is a confession, we got to see that. It's the confession of the translator and it's, it, it is the word of God. But so is the word, it's when I preach, it's the word of God. So it's not the same as the authentic manuscripts in the original languages. So we have to be able to go back to those and translate them into the present vernacular, which can be called English for thousands of years and be different languages. Right. Right. Um, I, I want to go, and, go, go ahead, go ahead. I want to not and, miss and something. There's, a, there's also a thought structure that's there too. And I, so this, and I was telling you that, that, that this is occurring to me because I can't read German, alas. Yeah, yeah amen. But, but anyway, but, but I can read Luther in English. I mean, I read Luther in English and it's just, it just rolls into my ears and into my heart and it's full of joy and there's, you know, every once in a while I'll get, I'm like, what, you know, what kind of weird idiom is that? So I, but I reckon, you know, I, I recognize it enough to know the strange stuff. Like, I don't need to understand that. It's some, something that the peasants would say or something. I can, I, I, I'm familiar enough where I can tell when Luther starts quoting someone, even though it's not noted by the editor, or I can, or, or when he moves into technical language, I can just, you know, I'm familiar enough. And it's so, it's fun to read. It's joyful to read. And I, and and but I forget that that so not everyone is there. Not everyone. You know, is you have a, you have a tool that. belt that others don't have. And Luther is verbose, <laughs> if nothing else. So just forget the theological toolbox, and remember that people read. The people. When I say people, I'm just saying like if we added us all up in our daily life, like I can read a three-page paragraph, but I don't. I won't. If I saw that on an article on a on a blog, I would not look at it. So we are we are gradually via the internet reading at three sentence paragraph maximums to fit with kind of bullet point style delivery of information. And so Luther is amazingly good still for us. Like you can pick him up and he speaks directly to you. This is why C.S. Lewis was so great. He always spoke directly to you. It's why Sauce has been, as he's translated, is amazing. From from 50 years ago in German, he can speak directly to us. Luther still does it too, but he's so verbose and goes off on such long tangents that for you, Brian, as a theologian, you're like, that was great. But just the formatting on the page alone makes it inaccessible to the average American's kind of pattern of reading. And so I would advocate, you know, editing Luther doesn't necessarily mean cutting, although I think you would cut so like some of the scholastic tangents and whatnot, but it just means laying it out in new paragraph formations that fit with the American mind. And that would be a stunning thing. I mean, that's a, that's a massive project. Uh, but the, you know, they, they've done that with the Bible too. They've uh, a handful of guys. I mean, this is they, people have been doing this for a while, but they've published the, the Bible. They've taken out the paragraphs. They've taken out the verses. They've formatted it they formatted it like the text that it is like either a story or a letter and um did they go, do it, a good job at it i mean that sounds cool if they did a good job yeah yeah they did i mean i've seen it a couple of times nice pages nice binding it, wow. it's, it's um and you pick it up and you're and it's it has a totally different feel just because of the different format now i, I i've told you of my theological sales funnel haven't i yes i think we talked okay, about that so last this, time so, so this is the idea that where you're headed for is joy in reading 
old theology books. That's what you're after. That's, so that's at the bottom. But, you, but the top is a meme with, you know, some stupid theology something or a verse on a picture or something like this. I mean, something very, very simple. And we, we just want to have something going all the way down so that, so that there's sort of a direction. So, so for the baby theologians, you've got some, some baby food and then it's getting, it's just getting better and better. And, it's, and at some point, someone's going to stop, you know, someone's just going to say, you know, this is, I'm content. Steep enough. To, right. Right. I'm content to sit here and read and read echo or, that you know that, I, that I'm that's good. I'm I'm content to sit here and, and listen to a, a long format podcast where guys are talking about theology or whatever. But some guys will keep going and keep going. God be praised. But 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 we give people the resources to to continue to press down towards this towards the richness of what we've inherited. And we want to I think we want to help people get down there. But but because just because we're helping people to get down, that doesn't mean that the stuff at the top where we're translating and making understandable and 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 trying to go and meet people in some ways precisely where they are and understand where they are and, and understand how people even think and talk, maybe even better than they understand how they think and talk. That, that, that is not work to be diminished. We got to, I think we got to press out in both directions. I'm convinced it's translation. And part of me is becoming convinced it's what the gift of tongues is to the church that to some extent, like when you just said a moment ago, to understand the way people around us talk better than they do, to kind of see how uh, language is still babbled a little bit. Even if we're all talking English, we can very much talk past each other, not understand each other, have a whole engagement in which we've gone through patterns that we've been trained by society to do, and we don't realize that we, we never really even engaged brains at all. We just we just did what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to be able to see that and then engage it from the outside with intention and uh, that intention being to bring to bear the word of God on that place. I'm not I'm not going to say that this is like like one to one apostolic tongues. I think apostolic tongues passed away. Uh, but I do think that it is the the gift of Pentecost as the antidote to Babel. That the, uh, the the conversation about what scripture means is something which pierces through every human language ever and breaks it uh, so that real meaning can exist there. And this, so does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, this this reminds me of something I used to do and I, and I should do it again. I would sing hymns in confirmation class. But what we would do is I would give them a pencil. And we would sing the first stanza, I'd sing it, and then we'd sing it together. And then I'd say, circle the words that you don't understand. Hmm. So they'd read through and they'd just circle the vocab words they didn't know. And then I'd say, okay, raise your hand. And I'd, I'd tell them what the words meant. And there'd be five, six words in each stanza. They didn't even just know right. what the words were. Right, right. So I'd explain it. And then we'd sing it again. And then I'd say, okay, now underline the picture. So then we'd sing this and then they'd underline the picture. Well, so what's the picture here, you know? So what are the picture words? So we're singing a mighty fortress is yeah, our God. Yeah, so yeah. Oh, fortress, that's a picture word. So now, and then it's quite, do you see it when you sing it? Because the word should give you the picture. A mighty fortress is our God. Uh, and so then you underline the, and then we sing it again. So now they know the words and then they get the picture. And now it's starting to, 
it's now it, and the, but the problem is I, that happens when i sing it it's already there and right. i sing it and i'm like wow this is look at wow and i and i look at their faces and i'm like how come there's no joy there's right. like ha, ha, ha. And I, what what and and i realize what no wonder they don't they don't even know what the words no. mean and they're too busy thinking about the music because you have to work to sing in a Lutheran church. It's hard work to learn our music and to sing it the way we sing. We expect a lot of our singers. And so they're not thinking about the words at all. They're trying to stay on the pitch and on the tune and to follow the congregation. And it can be a beautiful thing you know, when you get the whole choir going. I mean, I mean the congregation as the choir. When they're really singing, that's gorgeous. But there's not, it's not like there's time to ponder the poetry uh, and the music isn't it's there's the, the theory is that the music is supposed to be with the poetry right so like the the height of this and i say this as the son of an organist the height of this is like when you have loud boiling test tubes in a song and the organ you know just for that line does something to to make you think of loud boiling test tubes the the, the level of like perception on that that would need to be going on is is quite profound and really something I think only musicians would notice. Pastors can be taught to notice it. But in the meantime, down in the pew, the person's really just trying to sing the tune and keep mm-hmm. up with everything else. And, mm-hmm. you know, what the test tubes are about and how that connects to Jesus, nobody knows. And with that song, nobody does know. They sing it because the, the tune is easy to sing. Uh, and so I, I'm not advocating getting rid of the hard tunes or anything like that. I just think we have to recognize you know, hymnody is not going to be catechesis in a intellectual way unless you use it that way somewhere else. What hymnody does and what the tunes do is they create a culture. They bind us to a, a form of prayer. And I think through repetition of liturgy particularly, uh, there can be uh, a common vocabulary. Oh, so how, try this one on for size. I feel like I'm 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 out to lunch Looney Tunes, Brian. I tell you, it's just going to get worse too. Um, the more the more that I'm un, unhinged from uh, the boundaries which formerly were upon me. Uh, so that's a mental mental boundary of my own my own making to some extent. But last night in, in confirmation, knowing God study again, as we're talking about a number of things. Actually, this one this one came out of. The liturgy itself. So before we do the 6 p.m. hour-long class, we meet for 10 minutes in the sanctuary and we do a modified Vespers, a shortened Vespers. And then afterwards, we do a modified evening prayer compline, shortened of both, using elements of both, uh, before everyone goes home. And after we did – oh, no, my internet connection is unstable. Hopefully, we will not be – you will not be losing this. Tell me if, if you – if I break up. Um, uh my my little little I shouldn't say that my assistant a, a gentleman named Gus a young man named Gus uh, he was helping me out with the liturgy at the first part the vespers and he asked me after we skipped to the Magnificat from evening prayer and then said the Apostles Creed rather than the Lord's prayer because we're going to say the Lord's prayer later in the evening he said uh, you know do I finish with the evening prayer ending or do I go back to the vespers ending and on, on, kind of on a whim I just said it doesn't matter pick one. And don't tell them the page number. And so he did it. And I could tell there was a little hesitation. But then as soon as I started to sing the right response, everybody else joined in. And it like struck me. So then I started talking about it in class a little bit. Like, look, even if you can't do Divine Service 3 verbatim, cover to cover from memory, there are things in Divine Service 3 you can do verbatim. If I just say, the Lord be with you, right? 
you, if you've been in the Lutheran church for more than three years, you know what to say back. So what if I said, let us bless the Lord. You know what to say next? And the congregation, right, exactly. The congregation did it. I said, what if that was part of our conversation as people? Like, what if we just did that places, right? In, in low, low key, but like inner circle kind of ways. Um, I'm going to try to make myself start doing it. The, the trick is to find those pieces of liturgy that we know, call and response, conversational, right? The Lord be with you and also with you, right? I mean, what a way to meet each other. I don't know. that made this Again, I said unhinged, right? Off the deep end. But we have this code language that's there. It was put there by the fathers before us for us to know it. We don't use it. We don't say the Lord be with you to people, Right. Should, we yeah. should, shouldn't we? Uh, I did. I one time. I did, here's an, this is reminding me of because I, I have these ideas and then I forget about them. But I one time a few years. Write back, them down, Brian. Write them down. I, I yeah. I know. But the, I, I feel you. I would have a day. I would have six or seven parts of the liturgy, and they were a daily checklist, so hmm. that as I went throughout the day, I would I was looking for opportunities to pray the Kyrie. You know, and so like an ambulance drives hmm. by, and hmm. I say, "Lord, have mercy upon us." Hmm. Or something good happens, and I sing the Gloria. Or in the evening, or when I'm with someone who's suffering, I sing the I sing or say the Nunc Dimittis, so that there's I was <clears throat> excuse me, I was trying to look for occasion um, to bring the parts of the liturgy into into the service and 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 here's something that i have been doing and that is when i go to visit people now especially the homebound members uh i i always will sing a hymn or two but i've been singing less hymns out of the hymnal and singing just more hymns from the liturgy because they just sing along right um so even if i'm not giving them communion or the lord's supper i'm singing hymns from the liturgy and so they can they can jump in on that and now what's what's going to happen when we have a generation who's raised apart from these things ah well yeah which is why so what i want to do i want to try this now golly i don't know if i'm actually going to try this but i want to try this now we're going to we're breaking that class through lent because we're going to have regular lenten services and the kids are supposed to go to the services as their their assignment for the week but after that i got to think about what we're gonna do next and what what i what i want to do with it is not have any hymnals i i just want to from my end as as leader as pastor have my hymnal and lead from again vespers evening prayer compline and just pick elements and if you don't know it then you'll just hear when I say the response or when I sing the response. Although we've been doing all these things for several months now, and these are kids, they're going to know it, right? right? And what they don't know, they're going to start listening for more yeah. because they don't have the hymnal. Well, wouldn't it be amazing if you could just walk into your church and do any service from the hymnal and everyone knew it? It's, it's not that hard. Mm-hmm. It I is know. not that hard. We're probably all, we're all closer than we think. I think so. I do. I agree. The memory part of the mind, you know, music and memory are bound. Now, okay, so how about the hymns this are different. idea? Though? The You're going to really like this idea. What if instead of uh, publishing a bulletin that had the words of the liturgy, you published a bulletin that had pictures? Interesting. So the first page would be Jesus about to ascend to the mountain, talking to his disciples, telling them to go baptize. And the words are, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then for the Kyrie, you had the picture of blind Bartimaeus. And then for the Gloria, you had the picture of the angels talking to the shepherds. 
and then for the Hosanna, for the you, uh, the, uh, for the Sanctus, you had the picture of Isaiah in the temple, and you just had the pictures there instead of any words. Sounds like a great kids' book. I, I'd buy it. I'd put it in our our church bookstore, which we're starting and trying to sell things like your books. Um, uh, that, that sounds awesome. Do you have a plan to make that happen? I know that uh, you you found something like that once you shared with me, right? There was like an old woodcut thing that did something like this and linked all the liturgy parts to stories of woodcuts, or, or was that just something you were working on? I think I was thinking. I'm thinking about it, especially because this, it's the ASL thing, and how it's a you're great deaf, kids book. You're bound up to to pictures, and maybe even I mean more than pictures. You're bound up to stories, to narrative, to movement. Yeah, 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 yeah. And abstractions are. We we all are anyway, though. So so if 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 learning from those who are hard of hearing helps see that, that's great. But I think that's the case of all of us. We are so tied to story, and we think we're these logical, reasonable creatures that are out here living these little scientific lives. No, we're not. We're caught up in stories, our own stories, and stories of our families and our pasts and our patterns and our nation and our world. And that's good. So we're made to be this way. That's why stories resonate with us, which – oh, that's a connection point. Okay, I want to come back to this this point that we left behind a long time ago when you were talking about righteousness uh, and oh, and articles of faith. So – Here's another thing that I don't – I tried to say this in class last night, but I didn't say it well, I don't think, um, and, and, and trying to wrap my mind around it, how to use it. But the funny thing is so, – so you're right. A newspaper is not going to have the word righteousness in it. You went and did the research. You saw it in, at least in one area. It, the point was really well made. But in, in the newspaper is the lowest common denominator language of English. That is the measure of it. So you were right from a linguistic studies perspective to look at that. There is an entire subculture. America's got a lot of subcultures, but there is like a macro subculture that's out there. If you want to call it geekdom, if you want to call it nerdville, if you want to call it, I don't know what, comic book land, there, there is a segment of the American population that is highly into speculative fantasy in some way, shape, or form. And in those circles, what, with the games they play and the conferences they go to and the books that they read, the language often is intentionally obscure about really cool things. And so you might find – now, I don't mean to quote the Bible directly, but you know, you're know you playing Dungeons and & Dragons, and you might find the breastplate of righteousness, and it's like a plus two to holy you know, resistance or, or whatever, and it doesn't matter. But like then you're not worried about the word righteous. You're like, dude, I got the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness means awesome. You know, like you're going to you're, the context is going to put it together for you to some extent. and You learn the words. So people learn these words. What's happened? So it's not like, ah, this is what I don't know how to do. How do we make all of us realize that the Bible's an epic fantasy book and we're living it and it's real, right? Like then all these things, the language things become a little less tedious to us because I, I certainly would want the articles of the most holy faith. Where do I find that? Can I get a copy? <laughs> you know, I mean, why? if this were in a fantasy game, you'd feel completely different about these things. And so while on the one hand I'm making this effort to put it into American as much as I can, part of me also is like, golly, I want to form like a little weird microculture of, of uh, gaming Lutheran idiots who think that this whole thing is a fantasy game, you know, LARPing and we're – but except it's not LARPing, right? But we're going we're gonna to LARP Christianity now because uh, it's LARP? real. I don't know that word. Live action role play. So this is when you're when you're a true geek. You don't just play the game online or on a table. You dress up and go to like little little 
conferences and go into rooms where everyone's dressed up and you pretend to be the characters and like talk to each other and like maybe have like fights and things. I don't know. Never done it. That's like that's that one step. You talked about the funnel of theology or whatever, right? The funnel of geekdom. I stopped before LARPing. That was like, yeah. Cool guys, you have fun, right? I'm um, glad. I'm, you do it every Sunday. I suppose, well, to be fair, put on these robes. It's true, right? Exactly. To be fair, I did go to a uh, you know a, a festival this past summer and dressed up in steampunk. So that's close. I to, saw that picture. That's Terry close to LARPing. Too, she said, "What the heck?" That's close to LARPing. My mom made all that stuff for me. She's been making costumes my whole life. That, now, um, so okay, there's um, G.K. Chesterton made this point, and he said. If if we found the sermons of Jesus in some old ancient yes. Chinese yes. temple somewhere, everybody would be head over heels for it. Uh, uh, it, it, it so he makes this point as if it was that th- there's this always this sort of um, the allure, the romance of the other, and but we, we're so familiar with these things that it that the familiarity breeds a kind of contempt and and. And you know you, I mean, Jonathan. I know that you're. This is your constant work uh, to 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 bring it so that the words of the scriptures hit your ears at a different angle. And the whole idea. I was I was reading your Mad Christian Monday. Well, I shouldn't say that. I was looking at the banner of your Mad Christian Monday. Oh, good. Week. You got that far. That's great. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> uh, and there's the, the you know the sage there dressed the warrior monk with the candles and the book and Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I That's and, just and for epiphany it, by the way. The the light of that, the word. That, that occurred to me that that you that you know you this kind of that you that you're able to read the scriptures with this um with the intensity of the of the of the fantasy or the romance or, or whatever with you, it, it, it brings that intensity to, to you. And, and I think in some ways, this is what we're talking about is that that is there, that Mm -hmm. the, the intensity is there in the text, but most, uh, but, but the devil is fighting against people seeing that and hearing that. And it's going to be slightly different, probably for each person. I mean, but it, I'm going to contend it's on the battleground of language. I really do think it is. Where the devil yeah. is working is on the meaning of words. The postmodern conundrum is indeed a diagnosis of of his zeitgeist plan, if I can say right. it that way. Well, well, top to bottom, so words, also sentences, also yes. So, so there's a language. There's an attack on the word. There's an attack on the sentence, which is an attack on the assertion. There's an attack on the paragraph, which is the attack on an argument or reason. Yes. So, I mean, it's words all the way top to bottom. But, yeah, I mean, that's what the devil does. He's trying to snatch up the word. When you were talking about uh, – oh, so so like let's talk about that picture from the, from the newsletter for a second though. So like I mean the newsletter has gone through a couple of iterations trying to figure out how to do it, and I got a team making it what it is now. And so in many ways, it's not mine. It's ours, and I couldn't be happier about that. I feel like it's really taken on uh, a completely different level, and I read it <laughs> because it's like, wow, look at this stuff that got put together. You know, I, I threw these ideas at a wall, and it turned into this, and so I'm, I'm compelled by it at the moment, and, and I hope others are as well. But in that then, it, it's trying to hold on to a couple of ideas I started in the fall, which involved like having something thematic for the season be right at the start of it every Monday. Uh, and you know, with that, I mean some of that's maybe working better or worse, but the idea of having a piece of modern 
art, probably fantasy art, that would highlight the season of the church here in some way and show again that there isn't a difference between what Christianity is and what most inspirational stories pertain or purport to be in some way. So whatever that guy was, the, the, the monk warrior wizard guy with candles beside his book, for Pete's sake, it looks exactly like we have it in, in my congregation. The, the lectionary stand has two candles on either side of it. And if you stood there with a the hood on, it's what you would look like, uh, you know, it, it, and so look, here are people that are not Christians doing our art for us. <laughs> you know, they're giving us a picture of who we are. I have the same thought sometimes with um, with music. So in the mornings when I'm good and do a workout, uh, uh, there's a, a regular playlist that I use. And one of the songs on it is from a video game. It's the, it's the main theme to a game called Skyrim. And Skyrim is one of the best-selling games of all time for some good reasons and some bad reasons. But the soundtrack's pretty amazing. And it's got this, like, uh, Norse Viking kind of kind of feel to it. But then it's a, it's a cover where someone took some metal guitar and it's got metal guitar behind it. It's really masculine. They're shouting and they're singing, da, 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 you know. And, and my thought was, like, golly, this is what a Mighty Fortress is supposed to sound like. This is what they thought they were singing. We don't we don't think we're singing like that, but you know, men going to war and fearless, right? That's what thy strong word gets close for us a little bit. But I, I, again, I started asking, well, why aren't we writing music like this in the church? Uh, why aren't we trying? Why aren't we drawing art like this in the church? Why why is it all in kind of the uh, the sugar coated and maybe sterilized modern versions of the early early nineteen hundreds? Um, you know, Jesus with rouge on, uh, you know, um, I don't know. I just, I just jumped through a couple of different ideas. I think there's a common thread though. And, and it is, the meaning is more important than the external thing that we use to convey the meaning. And I'm on a quest to get the meaning, uh, for myself, honestly. I mean, I'm, I'm partially being selfish. I just want to understand this stuff. I want well, to live no, on I it. mean, in some ways, that's what we're all doing, and it's going to be different for each person. I think that's the the the, the perhaps the thing to realize is that the 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 warrior monk picture, the King David picture, um, is that that you're gonna you're gonna look at that and say, right, masculinity and art married together in faithfulness to Christ. That's me. That's I mean, that's not me, but that's that's what, what I want to be. I ought to be. Yeah. That's, you know, I'm going to, that's, that's where I'm going to, that's how I'm going to wake up in the resurrection. And I'm going to try to get closer and closer to that every day. So, you know, so, I mean, God be praised in some ways for that. This is, um, now, that now Meredith might say, look at the Virgin Mary and say, let it be done unto me according to your word and see this kind of calm peacefulness of, of reflection and and delight in the lord's kindness and 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 quiet suffering at as she you know beholds the the saving death of her son even for her and hmm. she said that now that's what i how i want to wake up in the resurrection and, and so now i want to step closer to that every day this is i mean it's one of the reasons why we have heroes right i mean we've talked about this quite a bit and th that the christian picks these heroes and we say now we're so this is how I hope I to wake up in the resurrection. I'm going to try to get closer and closer to there. But 
Um, and so, and so the scripture, I mean, there's a reason that the, that there's scripture gives us all these different people that the Lord has redeemed. Um, and, and he's made us all quite different because if everyone was pursuing the warrior monk, then there would be no one to listen to his sage wisdom as he dishes it out. You know what I mean? So, sure, 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 but, sure. Although I, I'm going to say that to some extent, uh, everyone has to be part of the same uh, what archetype that that is what a Christian is. And you know, so men are called to arms. Uh, w- women are called to, to hospitality ultimately. Um, what does that mean? What does that look like? That can take on a ton of different vocations. No questions asked. Um, but you know, I, I think I don't think there's a place in Christianity for the man who says, "I am not a warrior monk of the scriptures." Uh, not in no way, shape, or form. Doesn't mean you have to be the best one. <laughs> All right, but that there is a sword. It is called the Word of God, and it, it's put in your hand. Don't drop it. Uh, there's a shield. It's called faith. It's put on your side. It, don't throw it away. So, so I'm with you. Um, you know, and but I, I think you, in some ways, the ladies can aspire to that too, just as a man can aspire to be hospitable. I think the, the confusion of the sexes in our current age makes all this such talk very difficult. But um, there is a there's yeah. something I've noticed that I've just been thinking about on this. It's slight, maybe slightly skewed, but just this week, and that is that. I remember in the old evangelical days, um, people would just they, there was a there was a Bible piety, to where people would sit and read their Bible, and they would get something from it. Now, what they were getting from it, what I was getting from it, was not necessarily right. I mean, I was getting from it sort of this idea of daily instructions for how I ought to live. You know, it was all law. Right, But I was getting something from it. And I remember then coming Lutheran and there was people, you know, they had their big floppy Bibles. And the, and there was those people that had that strong Bible piety and they would go and they would read their Bible and they would get something from it. And it just occurs to me, that even maybe this week, <laughs> that that's almost totally gone. Yes. Like if I, I'm talking to my kids and I say, well, to go and read a page of your Bible. Mm-mm. And they there's just... No, for whatever reason. So this is the same issue right now. So it's it's the decline of Western Civ, and it's about the loss of language and logic in Western Civ, and we're all going to be part of it. It's a corporate reality. I think it's somewhat fruitless to fight it on its own terms, without being aware we need to fight a um what do you, what would you call it a, a reconciling action. Uh, you know, if you, if you got a big army around your wagons, you circle the wagons. Yeah, you could call it a retreat, but it could also be just called a good defense. And and so and might I quote some basketball? A good defense is really one of your best offenses when you know the sport. So much of what we need to be doing is recognizing that. And this is my whole point: LCMS fighting to teach Luther's German in the King's English to speakers of Pigeon American in order to be able to have them know Christianity. So what do I do? Do I make my children learn to read pages and paragraphs that are not written at a grade school level in order for them to read the word of God? Or do I find a have uh, do I find a way where they will just have the word of God? And while ideally you're if we're talking about like building a scholarship without question reading the text is the most important thing. If we're talking a life of piety, I'm not sure it is. I'm not sure that's the hill to die on. I'd rather die on the hill of having a life of piety. 
having faith. And in this, then, the question has to be asked. So you're right. We've lost a Bible reading culture. Should we put it back? Well, of course, if we can, but can we put it back in ways that are more likely to succeed? For example, call me crazy, um, listening to it hmm. instead of reading it. Is that no. wrong? When I listen to a book on Audible, do I not know the content? Now, I think I think if I read the book, I would know it better. There's no question. But I can discourse on the ideas after just listening to it. Right. Um, if I wanted to do a, a hard study of the the way the terminology is working in a paragraph, of course I would need to read it. But how many Christians need to do that or want to do that? I really the num- the number that need to do it or should be the number that want to do it. When you want to look at the scriptures that way, that's awesome, and it should be encouraged. But to think that somehow to be a Christian, I must daily read the Bible, puts you in this like like this lockjaw structure of, you know, Bible in a year, you know, burnout fire hose, uh, as opposed to, you know, what if it was just, how about every day you listen to a psalm, which golly, I changed my wake up time and that one fell off the map. I got to get that one back. Um, what if every day you just listen to a psalm? That would be, that would be amazing. It would change your life. It has. I've been doing it for, you know, four or five months now and it's, it's radically amazing. To sit down and read it, very difficult. To, to listen to it, three minutes, done, right? And but, but I think there are some who would say that that approach is the wrong approach and we have to make sure we save the reading. And I'm like, okay, are we talking about Western Civ or are we talking about Christianity? Because I, I like Western Civ and I want to fight to save that too, but I want to save Christianity more, if that makes right. sense, yeah? Yeah, that's right. I, so I um... – I think I'm I think I'm a hundred percent with you. I think I would come at it from a slightly different angle and that and so maybe just not a negative angle but a but a positive oh, angle. I'm so negative. I know. <laughs> uh that's why it's good for us to talk. Pessimism, <laughs> Pessimism darkness everywhere. <laughs> that, that so that we want to be we wanna we wanna give everyone what would bless them. So so that you're right. We don't want to insist that to that every Christian is is a reader. I mean, we want to we want to be very content with having illiterate Christians. Hmm. I mean, so we want to be very content with with providing people with the resources that they need, so that the Word of God can can hit them right where they are. Mm-hmm. And yet, we should also provide whatever is next. So. So that I, I, if the, if the kids can't read it, you know, and you know what I mean by can't read, I mean, they, like they can read, they know words, but they just don't know how to actually engage in, in, right. in tech with texts. They don't know how to, they don't know how to, the voice of the conversation in their head is so busy that they're, they can't hear Ooh, a through line or whatever. Good point. Yes. Um, we, we don't want to be content with that. So we want to give them where they, what they are, but then the, the, I mean, I think that's why this, the idea of a sales funnel, although completely secular, I, it, it's just, a, it's the, I think the sales funnel is the same thing as a, you is, know, what is, is, is like an educational program or it's a didactic thing. So here's where you are. Here's what you need for the Holy spirit to come and bless you. And yet I also want to help you to, I want to help you so that, so that you're not, so, so that you you can go further and further and further down, and you can get to the deeper and deeper riches that the Lord has for you. So, so anyway, I was so, going to so jump in on you for a second. Go, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead again. So, but it's it, I think you can, I think you could say 
that it's fine to listen to the Psalms. That's how they were supposed to be. It is, and it's necessary to listen to the Psalms. I mean, we're never commanded to read the Bible. We're commanded to hear it and to meditate on it. But reading on a page is, for most people, going to be, if you can do it right, yes. reading on a page is going to be better for meditation. No question. No question. But that's but that's like not the point, right? The point is not what's best. The point is what does this person need now, right? right. And, and and yeah. So and you know what? Call me crazy. This is, this is what happened, Brian, is I pushed play on a psalm and by the end of the psalm, I had held the phone in front of me to watch it while it was being said because right. I was compelled to do so. I didn't plan that. I was just like, mm -hmm. oh, wait a minute. This is interesting. And then I started re-listening to the psalm two or three times to focus on a phrase here or there that I didn't think made sense. I was just hungry. I was like, oh, well, that was it. What does that mean? Mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. I started sending text messages to a friend who's offered to do Old Testament research on tiny things for me saying, can you tell me about uh, – I can't even remember what the most recent one was. It was so obscure um, where David's like calling out, you know, uh, away from me, you who dwell in this place and this other place. And, and it's like I don't know what any of that stuff means, right, where that is. So I got compelled to deeper stuff, but it's only because I'm listening to it every day. Right, right, right. Right? And it and and so on your funnel idea here here's uh, uh, <laughs> you said because it's a sales idea that it's secular and you're right but I'm so this is my you want my real hobby horse here it is secular is just the secular word for the first article for Pete's sake secular is not bad secular is created by God hmm. politics aren't bad politics the the, the the uh, the caring for your city and having leaders who do so it's created by god men are bad we do bad things with the secular with the world with the first article we make idols of it we worship creation rather than the creator so that's bad but for peace sake the church has to learn that the secular is where we live you want to talk about the epic fantasy of Christianity is that you live in two completely different realms at the same time. One, an everlasting kingdom, which is pretty sweet. You get things like the articles of faith and the breastplate of righteousness. And then you walk around every day in a zombie apocalypse of mind dead, uh, you know, uh, gather and store and die ant drove madness. And you have to engage that too, because it actually is there. It's built. It works. It works. So you can call yeah. the sales funny funnel secular if you want, or you can just call it wisdom. Well, yeah, that's fine. It's just, it's, and that's I, and I agree with you. It's just the reason why it has to have a caution is because it can't bind consciences. So you can't bind consciences. The Ooh, you, you, you can't. So someone says, "Hey, the sales funnel idea. I, I think you're out to." And I say, "God be praised. You don't. You right, don't. right, right, right. So, so where's the line? The why Give me a line to, on this. Thus says the Lord. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you because the first article is all about our study of it, and so our our, our knowledge is always limited. So part of me like wants to ask, so where's the line? Um, because in that same secular realm are things like marriage. Marriage is a first article thing, and we do yeah. bind consciences. So there's there's a point at which the word does speak about first article and secular things in ways that are binding on us. And you then there is murder and you right, right, I mean, that's right, right. Yeah. And, and so so, but then there's also a place where. 
that ceases to be the case. And, and Paul makes these kind of arguments when he's talking about food. He makes these arguments when he's talking about hair length and head coverings uh, where there's a certain freedom that we have. And yet it's not a freedom to say these things don't matter or they don't really exist or we don't have to think about it or not even that they're that they're not good. They're not good. And that's my that's my harping beef right now is the word secular when Christians use it. It's like we think it's dirty and it's not dirty. It's not salvific by any means. Uh, but the if we want to say secular is dirty, I mean the word is Latin for world, right? It's like cosmos. If we yeah. want to say that the world is dirty, yeah, it just comes from the word world. Oh. Uh, uh, secularum, I think is the word. Uh, and it has to do with uh, planetary motion maybe. I'm guessing on that one. But, but in any case, it worldly. The word just means worldly. And even if we say worldly, notice how that's that's a bad term. Inherited from our uh, fantastic, you know, King's English, um, but there's something about the world which is is really good, and as Christians, it's redeemed. We can see it now. And again, this gets back to what I was saying about language. I can now look at language not as a tool for myself, but as a tool for my neighbor to help them hear about Christ better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I could observe the the patterns of our talk and try to change mine for you. <laughs> right? Um, is that, that's that supernatural power of the Christian, uh, the dying to life that others might live, which is not uh, anything more than, again, just looking at the world differently because we're in two realms. We're in these two – I don't know what to call that. And it's not – realms has already been taken by Lutheran jargon, so I can't really call it that. But the uh, – Spheres. Spheres, yeah. Um, epochs. You know? Cities. Cities. That's good too. That's Augustine, right? Um Yeah. So I, I didn't mean to, to yell at you. I, I, I get so excited sometimes by these things. Um, yeah, oh, I know. I, I yeah, uh, yeah. Well, okay. So I'll. I mean, I again, I'm with you. Let me. The thing we can't forget um, is how Paul will talk about this. Is he'll he, he? There's two wisdoms. There is the wisdom of the wise. Mm-hmm. And then there is the wisdom of God and um, the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the wise is wisdom still, but it is a very different wisdom and part of our enlightenment. So, so this is, so, so there's, there's a, there's two enlightenments. Okay. This will be interesting. I started my, I, I was preaching on, you shall not, you've heard it said you should not commit adultery this last week. Right. And so I started the sermon like this. Jesus said, you have heard it said you shall not commit adultery. But what if you haven't heard that said? Hmm. And that's where our culture is. Our culture yes. doesn't say you shall not yes. commit adultery. Our right. culture says adultery is great. You know, our, we, so that there's people outside the church we had a re, that have never heard it said you shall not commit adultery. Right. They've never heard that there's a gift called marriage and that it's great and that God protects it. And that anything outside of it, any sexual expression outside of that does damage to your neighbor to your conscience no there's people that just they actually haven't they not only have they not heard that they've they have an opposite morality that makes them think that whatever jesus said about marriage or whatever moses said about marriage is immoral that's and that's a hard thing for the church to get its head around that Mm -hmm. that we are the the worldly wisdom of our own culture says that we are that we are fools so so there's two wisdoms now. When the culture has left natural law or common morality or whatever, there's the enlightenment of the law, 
which says you shall not commit adultery. And then there's the enlightenment of Christ who says, if you look with lust, you've committed adultery. So there's, there's, there's two enlightenments that need, there's two wakings that have to happen. One from Moses and the other from Jesus. And it's only that second waking from Jesus that brings us, that gives us new life. Every but, time. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. But there, but there, there's a double thing that has to happen there. It's like with Peter, you know, who confesses that Jesus is the Christ, but then, but then also says, now you can't die. Yeah, right. right, right. It's like he gets the first mystery, the incarnation, but he misses the second mystery, which is redemption. It's a, there's two veils to get into the Holy of Holies. You have to go from the outer court to the holy place, and then you got to go through the other veil to get to the inner place. So there's a, so there's a, there's the preaching of law and gospel is bringing us through both of these things. Uh, you just made a big uh, jump there. Um, yeah. Every time I talk to you, I want to write a different book. So thank you, Brian, for for all these ideas. Maybe are you working on a new book yet? You got an idea for your next one? Uh, no. No. Why? Well, you well, you just you just kind of gave an outline for one a moment ago. So, um, if you wanted to call it the second wisdom, I think it would. That's got a good ring to it. Of course, CPH always changes your titles, don't they? Um, uh, I got They're most not publishing me anymore. Oh, really? You're right. Is that official? I mean, I guess it's official. I just got to do another book, and then it'll be official. Oh well, but aren't oh, that's right because you didn't have yeah. Okay, 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 okay. Blah, 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 all that. Well. You do got to do another book, and if you if you're not going to take the second wisdom, I don't know. I'm going to put it in my pile of maybe ebooks. I have this hope to start doing shorter ebooks. Um, yeah, time and all that. So I, no, no. This I mean, what we and we can press on it a a, a little bit because because when you're you, so your first article thing is, hey Christians. So so there is a way that if we have if we are enlightened ones. And, and here's another phrase I heard last week that I think you'll really love. It, and I don't know if I like it or not yet, but it is intriguing to me. And, they, and someone, someone simply said, Jesus came to teach us a different way to be human, <laughs> which is it's close, is quite he, nice. It's close. He came to make us different humans. I, I would say that G Jesus came to, in some ways, it's not a different way to be human. It's the original way. Yes, to, to restore us to true humanity. Right. Yes. But but the idea that the, there's a the, here's the way the world says you you are a human, and here's the way that the Bible says that you're a human, and everything's in it. You're not an animal. You're not. I mean, this is anthropological, original sin stuff, and, and incarnation stuff, and creation stuff. It's all there. But the church has. The church has rightly said that we have a second enlightenment, and that has caused us, in some ways, to look down on the first enlightenment, yes. the enlightenment of the law, first article, stuff, yes, which is true. right. We should despise it in some ways, but but it, we that despite what what you're fighting against is that despising of first article because you're what you're looking at and you're saying that the world around us doesn't even have this and in a lot of ways we've lost this. We but let me let me jump in. We should not despise it. We should despise the idolatry of it. It is the created order of God and it is as good as anything is. There is no God is not going to burn in eternity the idea to love your neighbor. Right. He is that it will remain and it's been there from the beginning from before the fall. So I just that's that's what it is. It's like like why would we think that 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 is the problem when it is our idolatry of loving our neighbor in the realm of, of course, self-justification. That's what's wrong. 
That's mm-hmm. what we should despise. We mm-hmm. should. So in that sense, I should despise loving my neighbor as a means to salvation. Yes. But that doesn't mean despising loving my neighbor, right? <laughs> Not at all. And, and somehow we've gotten to that point with some things. Um, you were talking about animal stuff a moment ago too. Uh, I, I have this like dream I'm going to start making stickers along with writing books all the time. And the one that I came up with most recently, I want it to be just words like on the back of my computer. All I want it to say is we are not apes, period. Mm-hmm. And so I want to sit in coffee shops with just we are not apes do on you, my computer. Do you, have you said this? Evolution makes marriage into bestiality? Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> Why did, you could make that sticker. Wow. <laughs> That's funny. Hey, so how's this for a thought? This is this is a, a random thought. What oh, if man. what if evolution is completely true in every way except for one thing? We got it all backwards. What if there has been a constant mutation and variation of the species from the first moment of any existence ever, but instead of evolution, it's been devolution? Right, right. So that we're constantly mutating into weaker versions and less complex, uh, more fragile versions of ourselves. And while some of us survive, we lose something every era and every generation, which would mean that – this is my favorite part. All of us are much stupider than we think. Yes. No. You – in fact – so not only do I think that you're right, I think that you have to – that you in your ordination vows confess that hmm. because Melanchthon will make a couple of notes like that in the Book of Concord. Wow. And Chemnitz talks about it as well. How, Chemnitz will say, we are in the last days of men grown weak. Yeah. Ooh. So, uh, so the under – now, but OK. So – but here's what happens. So some things – uh, some things are gained, some things are cumulative. Yeah, some like things a body are reborn in every generation. Some things are diminished. So, for example, knowledge is cumulative. So we have accumulated a couple thousand years, ten thousand years, or whatever worth of human knowledge. We've lost a lot, but in generally, it's been stored up, and we're getting better at holding it up. So knowledge has grown. Wisdom has to be reborn every generation. And so as that, as those things, which, I mean, we are probably are, um, we've been factory farming wisdom and the Ugh. soil is depleted. That's and the truth. so we have an incredible lack of, of wisdom and some things like moral character, I think, for example, uh, are diminishing. And so you, you look at these great heroes of the faith that lived in these, uh, these times. And we realize that we are just a shadow of, of Noah and Moses and David. Now, now we shouldn't lose hope though, because so, you know, I'm in this doxology, which is great, you know, and we get to go and, and hang out with the pastors and talk about what it means to be pastors and in these days. And, and I get to preach to the guys and I've now I've fallen into a pattern of ending every retreat that I'm preaching at with this question or with this, maybe a little bit of astonishment. And that is to say that, if, if I was in charge, if I was sitting at the right hand of God, I would have probably appointed, you know, Luther or Chemnitz or King David for these last days. But God has appointed us for these last days. Hmm. So 
even though we can tell that our own humanity is devolving or diminishing and getting weaker, um, still the Lord has the Lord has put us here to see the end of the world and to preach at the end. And so, as He wills, we can't, you know, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be afraid of of the times that the Lord has appointed for us. But, but your point, I think, still stands, and profoundly so, and it probably has a lot to do with this business of translation. Like, it's not just the Bible people, but people can't read Shakespeare, people can't read anything old, Mm -hmm. because we're just dumber than those guys were. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're less well-read, we're less wise, we we don't necessarily know how to think properly, and it's not getting better. In fact, as knowledge grows, it covers up for our lack of, of wisdom. That's right. In in Dungeons and Dragons, because this is a natural segue to Dungeons and Dragons, right? Of course. In, in, in Dungeons and Dragons, each character that you would play, whether it's a, a beast or whether it's a human, everything is, falls under this set of rules that has six major attributes, strength, endurance, charisma, those kinds of things. And you get a score based on those, and most of the games played around those numbers. Well, I always – was confused by it when I was a younger man, which kind of makes the point, I suppose, that you have a score for intelligence and you have a score for wisdom. Mm. They're different things and you rarely have a character with both. And distinguishing intelligence as knowledge pure, right? Like you've read the books and you can quote them. Whereas wisdom is closely linked to perception or you might call it discernment, but you know, just eyesight also. You know, What do you see? And so, you know, you cannot have a lot of knowledge and spot a trap. You can have a ton of knowledge and walk right into the trap. And I find that distinction really helpful. <laughs> you know, in life, like like there really are these two different ways of knowing things, and they're both valuable in their own way. Um, but the one that's really dying, right? We we have a lot of knowledge as modern people, but the one that's dying is is wisdom, and that's the ability to see the trap, right? That's the ability to know what's going on. Like we can we can make computers do really cool stuff, but do do we really see what's going on around us? I don't know. Um, and then uh, see if I can remember this now. There was another tangent that you gave me out of that. Oh well, just you said there were three things: uh, knowledge being cumulative, uh, wisdom being born every generation. Was there a third thing that you threw in? Yeah, that? the things that diminish, and probably this comes in. I mean, I, I haven't. But this has to do with moral strength, with with the stuff, with courage. Well, anything may you can you can have cultures that lose knowledge and lose wisdom and diminish. But that's interesting. So just just the fiber, the human fiber, the idea. What we're talking about is that that diminishes. Human fiber diminishes every generation. Which means that. You know, when St. Paul says that we need to not forsake the meeting of together, some are in the habit of doing, but but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching, is there's this sense that the love of many will grow cold. Right, this, right, Jesus right. Pr- pr- predicts this. And and so we we need one another. And just at the time when we most need one another, the devil has arranged it so that we can be isolated from one another and apart from one another and be constantly constantly distracted by either things that are entertaining or informative but not but there's no there's no actual connection and actual conversation 
uh, and no actual just hugging and kissing your fellow Christians. Um, and so th there's a uh, there's a real place where where you can see how the devil's attack is is just perfect for the these for the days in which we live. So he he exploits our weaknesses. Yeah, I, I would. I mean, I am. I'm not going to claim inner inside knowledge on the devil's plans, uh, and I'm pretty sure he's got him in every era. But part of me thinks he also, being a creature, uh, has the ability to learn and get better at stuff. And while we know he's doomed, he doesn't want to believe that. So uh, he he keeps trying things. And I wonder if at times I wonder if after the Inquisition kind of backfired a little bit. Uh, because he lost control of the world under the Pope, which was his doing. You know, he kind of lost that in, in that time period. Um, at least that's how I would see it. Uh, if he kind of stepped back and said, all right, I got to play a longer game than this. And, you know, if you look at the movement of the Enlightenment as a self-destructive worship of knowledge and where it's led to now like a full-hearted – cast into the hedonistic realm of, of pagan insanity that we're, we're about to embrace as, an, as a Western hemisphere, which only joins with the Eastern Hemisphere's own version of this, you know, against which when it comes to moral virtue, the only hope is Islam for Pete's sake. Uh, you know, you, you look at that, that battlefield of the planet intellectually and holy crap, he's been waiting for this. This is like – now the question I have is though – as he's been doing this all along, it used to be like, well, I think I'll kill the Christians. That'll do it. Well, nope, that just made it grow. Well, let's stop doing that then. Let's stop killing them because that makes it grow. Maybe we can, you know, get them to believe in a completely different God. Again, you know, Middle Ages kind of Pope stuff. So, so what is it now? Maybe I can just make them so, excuse me, so damned comfortable, so damned easy that they just forget about it all. And then, Within a, not even knowing it, they just become part of the pagan horde, and and there we yeah. go. Oh yeah, that seems to be the plan. So so like people are worried about persecution of the church, and there's a little bit of it here and there, but like I don't know, like he's got a good thing going <laughs> right now. It's working. Well, Why would he stop? Yeah, yeah. There's you know there's three <laughs> strategies, and and we are in the weeds right now. I mean we're in the weeds. Yeah, strategy. yeah, yeah. That's good. Oh, so I mean, sometimes it's the scorching sun, and that's probably what's next. I mean, I don't know. Why would he do that when the weeds are working so well? He I just, loves to scorch. I guess probably he it. That's true. He every time the devil can kill a Christian, he'll do it. It doesn't matter. It's like, it's like what you know. Why does a shark keep eating? It's because it's a shark. So, yeah, if yeah, the yeah. devil can that's kill good. you. He'll kill you, even though he knows that. I mean, that's what happened with Jesus. There's yeah, a, there's a rage there that. So. But as, but but the the point is, I mean, you know, the the, the birds and the and the sun and, and the and the and the weeds. The, this is the basic three tactics, and and these happen individually to us, but it happens also culturally, and and so our culture is in the weeds right now. It's been in the weeds, but I don't know. Hmm. I, I don't know how long that lasts because once the weeds have choked out everything, then. Then what comes? Then the next? sun comes along and scorches it all. I guess that could be. That's interesting. I wonder because it, it doesn't always have to follow that pattern. I don't think of of one leading to the other in a specific way. I think he's going to use all of them wherever he uses them. There is a way, so the, what happens with so 
it's, so the weeds you you get hooked onto pleasure, but the problem is there's no meaning to it. Mm-hmm. And when you lose meaning, like most, so most people don't have like there's you, how would we say it? There's no story. There's no there's no point. Like I, I was thinking about this because Paul in Colossians he says he says look there's here's a new way of being human. You're you live you live you're connected to Jesus. You're you're part of His body. You're you're part of this new humanity, new kingdom, and everything. And yet you still live at home. You still go to work. You're still husband and wife. You're still master and servant. But he says as to the Lord. So. So I, the servants serve as serving the Lord. The wives are subject to their husbands as to the Lord. The children serve their parents uh, in reverence to the Lord. And he says, and all of you are servants to the Lord, which gives meaning. And this is maybe more important than ever. It gives meaning even to the meaningless stuff. So I'm, re- I'm reading this book about lost connections, the nine lost connections that he thinks are the cause of the depression thing. It's an interesting book. And the, the disconnection from meaningful work is the first one yeah. that he brings up, there, yeah. which is what Marx yeah. was teeing off on for communism. Yeah, yeah, and, and then he imposed place. meaningless work on everybody. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> so, so now I, but I, so maybe I do. I now, God be praised that you and I have work that just comes with its a richness to it most of the time. But other people don't. They're just doing the kind of cranking things along, feel like a cog, and yet they're doing it as to the Lord. And so the fact that we have a, we have a Lord who sits at the right hand of God. Who, who we live under him and his kingdom, this fills everything that we do with meaning. Now, the, ch- the chase for pleasure does not have that. I mean, you chase after it, and it's vanity. This is, this is the wisdom of Solomon. It's all vanity, 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 vanity. And the destruction of meaning is then the loss of hope. So it transitions from the, 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 the weeds, which is the pleasures of life, soon expose us to the sun, which crushes because there's no hope, so that so you get you you sort of wither up because there's no there's no there's no dawn coming. Mm-hmm. You've chased at, you've chased after the wind for so long that there's just there's nothing there. Someone told me this is Tim Keller who I've been listening to, who I told you to listen to, and you laughed at me. No, I haven't listened. I know. Uh, I could. I you, oh, God, you want to know who I've been listening to? I want to start. Yeah. This will be a total tangent. Finish your Tim Keller so, comment. So he said this. He says, he says it comes down to this. And I don't think this is a false dichotomy, but I think it's helpful to meditate on. Tim Keller says this. Either there is a God and he owns you and huh. everything about you. Huh. Or there's no God and everything is meaningless. Yeah. So yeah. The, those are the two options. There is a God and that's the conclusion. You owe him something. Or there's no God and everything is meaningless. So people say, well, I don't want to owe everything to God. Therefore, I'll act like there is no God. But the result is everything is meaningless. So you got to come to the, you, you, that's the fork in the road that you face, which, which is, again, I think it's a false dichotomy, but it presses us a little bit closer to the, to what we're facing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it, it makes me think about how in, in all the podcasts I listen to, it's amazing how much these secular guys um, who are really intelligent and searching for meaning in life, they don't. They love the ancient and alien idea. They just keep de- defaulting to that as if that solves the problem and gives meaning. And someone said it finally on this uh, is uh, things they don't want you to know. It's a good podcast. Four guys talk about weird stuff all the time. Uh, he said, um, uh, "Yeah, but who made the aliens?" Right? And it's like, yeah, exactly. Like you, you don't really solve the problem. You all believe there's this alien life out there. Okay, well, yeah, God would be the alien life, the angels, that would be alien life, real stuff, 
right? We should use that kind of terminology too and not be afraid of it. You know, over Bethlehem, Bethlehem uh, in, in the fields where the shepherds were keeping watch, there were a few unidentified flying objects one night. Now, I'm not saying tell the Christmas story that way, but like acknowledge it. Like when people see unidentified flying objects, what are you seeing? And does it mean it's a good angel or a bad angel? And that's the world we really live in. That that's the, oh. the the epic fantasy of Christianity, right? Um, so, you know, how close? By the way, just a, uh, a quick point: How close are this this whole alien idea to the old Greek and Roman ideas of the pantheon of gods? Well, I mean, they, how exactly identical is that is that worldview? I think it's very close, and they try to even make those cases, right? I think I think this is hard pseudoscience, but you'll hear people talking about how, you know, the pyramids were built by aliens and that the Pantheon is a representation. There's even a movie, Stargate, right? Uh, it was kind of based on this, that the the Pantheon of the Egyptians is all aliens who were their overlords and masters and, and all this stuff and built portals with the pyramids, blah, blah, blah. It's fascinating. Like, that's fun. Okay, sure. Whatever. But how about, like, we just believe that the supernatural fourth dimension angelic realm which is part of creation the heaven which is part of creation is really here and that would be non-humanoid life form non-earthling life form extraterrestrial life form and yeah i believe in that right i don't i don't necessarily believe in some weird super species off across the you know the unisphere uh that somehow is going to get here and talk to us. I'm not sure I buy that at all. Uh, but I believe that there's life out there. I can't believe there's this whole universe and God didn't put any other life here. It's like, well, no, no, really. It says right there he did. You know, we just don't see it. Uh, so who have I been listening to? Uh, this is such a tangent, but it's also been really a joy. So I'm, I'm curious as to your thoughts because there's a name out there in certain inner LCMS, at least circles, that just invokes either relishing love or, or deep hatred. And uh, and I don't know this guy. I know that he did some things which are sinful. I know that uh, he continues to attend a Missouri Synod church and, to my understanding, is a communicant in good standing, which would mean he has repented and been forgiven. But there's all sorts of hubbub about him. His name's, his name's Chad Bird. And I started listening to his podcast on 1517, which also has quite the name in a few circles in the LCMS. Um, at the recommendation of a friend who said, you really got to listen to this podcast is called 40 minutes in the old Testament. And who boy, is it a good podcast? They're going through judges right now. Dear heavens, is it fantastic? And, and I, I, I cannot stop listening to it because I'm learning so much from it. And, you know, I'm not really running into a lot of antinomian propaganda or anything like that. It's just exegeting judges with all sorts of history about this stuff that I couldn't find, you know, on my own. Uh, wow. Is it good? But so here's my kind of question to you. You're like, is that wrong of me? Right? If in, in the great debate about personalities, can somebody who is indeed, let's put the worst construct, a hardened sinner, can they teach you the Bible? Are you safe listening to it? Um, golly, it's a good podcast on judges. I've never, if, you, if you're, listeners, if you are missing, you know, Ref Fisk Ross style uh, expository, it's not quite that, but it's the closest thing I've found to someone else doing that deep dive. Wow, is it good? I don't know. What do you think, Brian? I've I've excerpted myself from that conversation. Yeah, right. Uh, P professor Bird was my professor. Oh, was he? Hebrew, I didn't know that. And um, and uh, I audited his Genesis class. I took his Exodus class. Um, he so he was teaching there uh, when he was a pastor. Um, still, 
Um, he's not. He, he was removed from the from the clergy roster, and there, it was a. Um, so that whole thing is just probably a matter of deep, sort of personal pain for me. Yeah. Right. Um, right. So, I think so it is for I've, a lot of I've, people. Yeah. So I so I have not I haven't listened to the podcast. Um, so I, my general t- I can, I think I could comment on fifteen seventeen in the sense that you know they've kind of they've kind of clustered around themselves all of the guys who are accused of being soft anti women. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and so they've invited that criticism on themselves. Now, I, I don't, I, this, this, look, if, if so, so, uh, can, can, there is a danger in, in, there's a danger that our, here, here's my big take on this. There's, there's kind of two poles when it comes to Lutheran theology. You got your greater Galatians and you got your Chemnitz examination of the Council of Trent. Hmm. And you got your one hand, you have this, this law gospel comes in, blam, the, this law gospel impact. And this is what makes us unique. And, 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 and this is where, and we can present this as opposed to uh, typical American evangelicalism and all that sort of stuff. And that's, that's one pole. And we should. This law and God, blam. And then there's this sort of Chemnitz who takes a bit of a more reasoned Catholic whole approach and can sort of talk about everything, including the things leading up to repentance and the things growing out of repentance, um, who's not so reactionary in some ways, but more edifying and so forth. And um, and uh, we got to have both. So so. I, I think we're, want, we're we're always kind of tempted in one way or another, and I think we got to be able to do both. In fact, maybe this. Let me let me give you. I, and I can't remember if we've talked about this before, but I think there was sort of three phases of the conversation in the Reformation itself. So you have phase one: we're not Roman Catholic; the Catholics are wrong. Phase two: we're not Anabaptists; the radical reformers are wrong. But then phase three is when the Pope and the Emperor say, "Well, fine." You, you do your thing over there. You got the city, you got the university, you got the church. And that's the, where they have to, and this is the, the, actually the hardest part of the Reformation is where they got to figure out, well, how are we going to train pastors hmm. and how are we going to call guys and how are we going to teach people to be in the family and how are we going to sustain an economy that's not built around the monastery and right, the indulgences? Right, right. So it's the, and, and this happens probably around like, 1527 or something like you could probably put the date on it and luther stops writing i mean he doesn't stop but his his production goes way down because he's actually doing the hard work of edification right you can tear down rome and you can tear down geneva but how are you going to build up wittenberg and and that's the hard work and it's not as sexy and it's it's not as good for media production and it's not as and you're not producing as much stuff so it, it seems like, and and it's a danger for me too. I mean, I, I'm kind of wrestling with this because, you know, I mean, I made my bread and butter on the tearing down Geneva, you know, I mean, on here has American Christianity failed. Here's, here's how the Lutheran doctrine is not that, but, but there's a, there's a sort of large catechism work that has to be done, which is say, you don't have enemies. You still have a city to, to build up. Now you're always going to have enemies, but you, you, you got to build up the city. And it seems like 1517 has honed in on the, 
this is what we're not. This is what we're tearing down. Mm -hmm. And, and in some ways you have to do it, but it can't be all that you do. And there has to be some sort of sense of Catholicity to our theology. That's my broad take on it. That's a very, that's a very nuanced take. And I, I appreciate it. I wasn't necessarily looking for that. Um, but I thought it was, it was really interesting. And I'll, let me just, just say, uh, making bread and butter on tearing down fine and, and well and good. But when you want to build the city, there's a book called echo and, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, that's what that one's for, man. And that, that can, you build on top of that. I think your martyr's faith is going to be, is a, is a better paradigm for inquiry than has American Christianity failed. I, I'm sure I know American Christianity failed is helpful to people, but if we're looking at, not just reaching the post-evangelical and reaching the actual pagan, right? There's a different tactic, and and I think the work you're you're leaning into now is going to be more valuable. That I think Martyr's Faith is is definitely in that direction. Needs needs the stories, the stories. Um, Here's another just a, well, if you're ready to go on, but well, I, I have one more picture for you, which I think might transition to to something new, um, and that is that so that we we don't want to get stuck on one battle line so so we got to realize that the lord has put us in the lord has put us in the world to be for a lot of things and against a lot of things so the 10 commandments and the and the creed and all this there's a lot of battle lines and what happens is a lot of we'll get stuck at one fighting at one so there's a battle line for example between those who have baptism and those who do not that's the Lutherans and the and the evangelicals, those who have the understanding of monergism and those who do not, and those who have the external word and those who do not. So there's a battle line there, and the battle has to be fought there. There's also a battle line between those who, for example, have the liturgy and do not. That's a different battle line. A lot of guys will get stuck there. We got to fight that battle too. There's also a battle line between those who know that there is a God and there's not. And there's a battle line there. And there's a battle line between those who know that there's one God and those who know that there's three persons in the Godhead. Right. There's a battle line there. There's a battle line between those who know that the baby ought to be protected and those who do not. And there's another battle line there. And we got to be able to go and fight the battle at whatever battle line it is. And we have to realize that, that at one point, I'm going to be fighting with people, for example, for, for life, when, and those same people at another battle line, I'm fighting against them right. for infant baptism or right. whatever. So that, so and, that we gotta be, we gotta be nimble in the, in, in the, in these reformings of these battle lines that we fight. And, and what happens, I think a lot of times is guys have some success at fighting one battle and then they just sort of stick there and, uh, and they can't, then they can't realize that those guys that they're fighting against are their friends in a different battle. Right. And, Right. That's that's a real dangerous thing. Yeah, right. And 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 that I guess really does get to the genesis of my question here. Painful as the past may be, I'm at the point where not being tied to it, I can't say this isn't a useful podcast. And I know that's like that puts me on the wrong side of a certain battle line that may then lead to not being allied when we need to be allied on the bigger deal. Uh, I, I in no way have an intention of defending anybody who I don't have the ability to defend. And and uh, Mr. Bird, I cannot defend, nor do I think I should. But should I should I refuse to be edified in a pure historical exegetical treatment 
of the book of Judges on its history simply because there, there's the potential. And this is this is the thing about those who are anti-1517. It's like, well, Ferdy was heterodox, maybe even a heretic. Okay, sure, fine. Therefore, we should never read anything he said. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, if I had to do that, I can't read anything but the Bible ever. <laughs> I just, you know, I'm not allowed to read anything now. We, we can't take that kind of hard line on this thing. Um, it's going to be personal and individual, and we shouldn't. It, there should be freedom in this. But, but that's sort of my question too. I'm trying to wrap my heads around it because it is so polarizing, and it has a lot to do with the um, the emotions and the pain connected to what did happen. And if you don't know what happened, I'm sorry for being vague about it. I don't want to purvey gossip. I don't want to slander anybody. I'm sure you can find out elsewhere. But let's just say, for good reason, he's not a professor anymore. But does that mean he's not a Christian? Does that mean uh, that when he does something, and if he wrote a book on the history of judges, would that be off the table now? And the old way is sort of to say yes, I think. But I just don't know how you can you can be consistent with that. Well, I mean, maybe to talk abstractly about this, um, we don't do that with the fathers. Let me just say that we don't do that with the church fathers. We don't throw them out because they got a little straw. Well, so to take it, to, so to take the question out of the content and just into the office. So in the question of the office, a lot of times what we think is, well, you have two offices. You have the office of layman, and then you have the office of pastor. And what a pastor can do in public teaching is not the same as what a as, right. what a layman can do. And so we say, well, there was a guy. He, he was not a pastor, but he's a layman. And so we bring up guys like Philip Melanchthon or C.S. Lewis or something like this. But I think there's probably three vocations. Um, there's the, there's a vocation. It's in some ways, it's like being a virgin or being a, a husband or being a, a widower. I mean, you, if you're a widower, you're not married like a virgin, but it's different than being a virgin. It's a, just a different vocation. You, it, both are not married, but both don't have the office of marriage, but there's, there's just a different calling. And I, I do think that there's probably a way that we, we want to think about that in the church that you, you there's laymen and then there's pastors and then but if you've if you've been in office and then you've been taken out of office that's a, that is a different vocation that that's that is something different that the lord has put on you now what exactly that is and what it should be and how we should manage that right we should we should be able to say that that talent and opportunity are not the only thing that matters in in the teaching of the church uh, but so, but then what, when is it not teaching? I guess that's my question. I'm like, like, and, and I would say just from having listened, there's no preaching going on in this. I mean, there's, there's conversation between him and another, also a gentleman that's a bit of a lightning rod for similar reasons, um, who I don't, I don't, again, that's just another heartbreak for me. I thought this guy was like the best thing happening in the Lutheran church. I went down to visit him. We, yeah. Ah, this, yeah. So I don't, so I, but I don't, I, he's, he yeah. is still is a pastor in his system and they're neither of them are preaching so much as simply having a conversation about the text. And it's, it's weird because again, like as, as I'm hearing your pain and your emotion in this, I get you. I, I didn't know him from Adam. He came to a BJS conference, uh, in, um, in Naperville yeah, when I was there and I was there too. Yeah, it, he also had another gentleman with him named, uh, uh, I believe John was his first name who is also now no longer, uh, uh, you know, on the roster in the Missouri Synod, and 
but at the time it was like, hey, we're these converts from evangelicalism. We've got lots and lots of people who want to come with us, right? So it's yeah, it's heartbreaking when this kind of goes sideways, I guess would be the way to say it vaguely again. Um, but does that mean that if they wrote a book detailing the history of the book of Judges, I can't make use of it? I just can't go there. I can't say that. Like it's like that's like then I can't read Nashim Talib Nasim Talib on uh you know chaos theory and and statistics because he's an orthodox christian who really is kind of a pagan orthodox christian so I just I have to ignore him cuz he you know he says things that are wrong and and he's teaching and he's teaching about wisdom and it's not scripture necessarily although he did try to rectify the trinity in one book which is silly um but but you know he tried to rectify the trinity so should I ignore everything else he says I, I just – I get it. Like individually we can say it's too close for me. But we start trying to compel the world to live according to our piety and, and we're we're in the wrong battle line, I think. Yeah, I've been quite – I mean I, look, I you know I recommend all the time Al Mohler. I tried to get you to listen to Tim Keller. Those guys don't they're, – right. they're wrong about a bunch of stuff. Speaking you know? of Al Mohler, you have your dream come true. No, Your great awesome. wish. You're going to be I at know. the Issues Etc. Oh. Making the Case conference this oh, summer so uh, with Hans Feeney, your your good buddy Hans Feeney, who's been Whatever. there for uh, uh, for this will be I think his third or just his second year straight. I, I forget now. Second, it's um, just his second. His second year straight. Uh, I continue on a string of neglect. Um, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if as we get close, I suddenly a week before I'm asked to be on the show, uh, uh, right before the conference, and then they publicize it. Uh, uh, that's, that's what's happened the last two years. I do enjoy it, but I find it funny too, uh, that you, you beg and, and whine and complain and you get Al Mohler and, uh, and get to hang out with him. And I'm just a good boy and, and just always serve. And, you know, I'll just stand in the corner. I didn't even, I, I, I didn't even want to talk. I just, <laughs> I said, I'd fly myself up there and drive Al oh. Mohler around. Oh, you were strong. This is the problem is he probably has to get a ride to the airport. He, I talk after him. Mm. And and he's gonna he, get want want to go to the airport. Yeah, I'm gonna say, yep. hey, Jonathan, why don't you take my lecture? That's funny, so, I so can you can talk with him. To the airport. Well, you should tell them that. I mean, not not me necessarily, but like that is a thing. You're putting your finger on something. If your goal is to talk to him, uh, it's not gonna be after his paper, right? That guy is yeah. so busy. Uh, there there's no way that he's not completely orchestrated at this thing. He's not just gonna I hang know. around. Um, I, I'm not even that interested in. And I love what he's doing, but I, I again, he, I don't know. I don't, I don't get your fanboy interest. I mean, you, you like him, you know, the way I like Luke Skywalker, except I don't anymore, but you know, it's, it's that kind of fanboy infatuation thing. I know. I think. He's so, the best. Yeah, exactly. Right. I just thought of it. I just thought the other day, I'm listening to Al Mohler talk about like the history of like the English common law. Like, how does he know all this nonsense? And he's talking about these people, and I, and uh, he's got teams working for him. He's got to, you know. And, said, and he's this a is, genius. This is like I'm so I'm sitting here twenty minutes every morning listening to this guy. Not only talk about the, the 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 thing, but the history. He'll bring in the history behind it. Like this morning, he was talking about uh, the, the the transition of 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 pronouns and the importance of language, <laughs> and how this is happening at Harvard. And I'm like, this is just like a master class. Yeah. Right. In, discernment and cultural design yeah like every episode's a master class in in that for free yeah yeah anyway until he goes off on his heterodoxy moments he's got those and they're really bad when he does it he's 
he's really bad when he's bad. Yeah, um, I, of course. That's what we're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I want to talk about Chicago, though, and you coming and you being here. As my wife had an idea, and I want to throw it at you uh, kind of yeah. on, on a twist. What if – now? When, first off, when are you coming in? I don't know yet. We haven't made plans. Okay. So her idea is that either Thursday or Friday night. Uh, you know, normally on Friday night after the the first papers and before Saturday, there's there's some sort of impromptu gathering. Sometimes at hotels somewhere, random. Yeah. Okay. So what if what if we like did that on purpose, and it was you and me, and we did like we would call it something I don't know whatever, and we have like an official party, and we um, you and I will be there. We'll try to get other people to be there, and um, just let everyone know where it is and have it be kind of orchestrated a little bit to be a, I don't know, whatever we want to use it for promotional. Um, uh, what do you think about that? Or I want to invite Al Moeller. Well, or, or my wife's idea was this one. See, our, the, the listeners won't like this one as much. My wife's idea was that we do it, but we only invite like seven people and we, we have this really, special, we're the best people in the world, no one else is as valuable as us, little hidden conversation. Um, now, I say that kind of snarky. Whatever wants to do. He's what you want to do. That's funny. I say the it kind of snarky. like booze it up. I, th- I bet he's a teetler. Let, let, me, um, let me say, just to make this clear, the snark in that, the challenge is this. So if Brian and I get together at a party where there are 200 of you, Brian and I will never talk to each other. Brian and I like talking to each other. The only way that's ever going to happen is if we're at a party with five people, <laughs> right? Uh, and that's good. That's just the way life is. So please understand uh, the human the human component of this is a real thing. But I like the idea, I don't care how, of having some sort of official gala. Um, I don't know why Issues doesn't do it on their own and, uh, that night and have it be something that people are, are tied to. You don't have to booze it up for Pete's sake. You can drink a, t- a warm tea. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's what we'd have to do is we'd have to have like decaf coffee or you're, like mushroom coffee or whatever. There you go. That way, yeah. Uh, uh, the I, I it came up on my Facebook feed the other day. You know, like here's your memories. This picture from seven years ago of you and I in that basement closet. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Ty a, Fox's uh, house. Yeah, and they're like, and he and he put the little vent in there for yeah. the c- cigars. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And the whole house was like. It was like the Shekinah glory from that one little room from the cigar smoke. That's funny. Oh, man. Well, and that was – I mean that was a BJS uh, party, right? And they made that party part of the conference. And as a result, at least initially when BJS was was kind of growing on the issues, et cetera, revolution, you know, Kishnik, the evil overlord, is, is you know our enemy and we're unified behind this. Um, you know, that all faded when there was no more enemy to fight. Turning Harrison into the enemy, as some have done, hasn't really, you know, done anything except hurt everybody. Um, but so, so that idea though was here were a bunch of people who wanted to be Lutheran together, hanging out, and there's something really good about that. The Making the Case conference is kind of built on the same structure, but there's not a lot of fellowship time aside from the cafeteria, right? Um, so, so again, what if we did it on purpose? Are you up for that? If if yeah, sure. if 
my wife and I were to kind of plan it in um, one way or the other. So what I need to know is if you come into town Thursday, because I don't want to rain on on the, the issues guys parade. Like I don't want to take their thunder. So I'd rather do it Thursday night the night before so that it's like evidently not in their bailiwick. If I do it on Friday night, I feel like I have to ask them uh, just out of courtesy. Um, they probably wouldn't care. Yeah, yeah whatever. It's fine. I, uh, I think my family's going to come at least part of it. So that'll be nice. Yeah. Gary's coming. Uh, well, I see if you come early for that, that's where my wife wants to get together with your family. She's still got eyes on your boys, you know, just so you know. They're, yeah. They're growing, they're growing into some strong fellows. Well, my, here, my, so. my girls, my eldest might be spoken for, but, but the rest of them, um, uh, yeah, we just like to have them hang out and see each other. That, that's yeah, just the sure. idea. So. Oh, for Pete's sake. What was that? Someone someone put a comment. I, I was talking about how uh, brain development in humans is – it ceases its growth and learning curve and then is sort of established, they're finding, at around age 25, not 21, not 18, certainly not 6 or 16. And, and so I was, I was using that comment in connection with a question about tattoos – and basically, you know, long and short, yes, you may get a tattoo, but then my personal opinion is don't do it till you're 25 because before that you can't make lifelong decisions and know you're doing a good job. You just can't do it. And so someone left the comment, well, does that mean you shouldn't get married till you're 25? I went, ouch. Ooh, that's pretty clever. Um, and, I, and then I thought about it some more and I haven't written back. I, I'm going to talk about it here instead and maybe talk about it Saturday. Um but like, no, the answer is like, you shouldn't be making the decision to get married. Mm. Like that's, that's the answer. Like others should be making this decision with you. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hardly like, like for my daughters, it is not that I will tell them whom to marry. That is, that is by no means the, the straw man you may put me behind. Um, but they, thank God they believe this at this point. They realize that they can't see everything. And that the opinions of their parents and their siblings matter mm-hmm. um, so that there'll be a you know a 40 some odd year old and another 40 some odd year old and an, an 18 or 19 year old and a 20 or 23 year old or whatever, whoever she marries, like, we'll all be in a conversation together about this, mm-hmm. right? That's the answer to that one. Um, but uh, I went off on that just because you said your boys are great. My wife wants my girls who are decent to meet your boys who are great. Um, we assume, although I don't, I don't know. They're great. They're strong. They're, they're strong. getting muscles. That's are strange. they, are they, are they muscle heads like you? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I can take him down. Yeah, right. Oh man. Uh, my boy and I have been wrestling since he was an infant and he's finally, finally starting to get that he's not supposed to lose. Like he's, he's at that phase where he's figuring out like, oh wait, I can kind of fight back. I still lose. He doesn't just flop. <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't just, yeah, he doesn't roll around. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, uh, My boys have figured out the need of the spine trick. Ooh. Take it easy, guys. Yeah, right. Hey, 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 take it easy. Uh, take it easy. <laughs> take it and easy. And I come to <laughs> You're quick and fast like a gazelle. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> so they're rather bouncing around, you know. Andrew, this is the thing. Andrew can beat me at ping pong now. Which is really that is something, something that is something. I got yeah. uh, I got my youngest. We 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 bought her a wooden chess toy, and she's six now. And we, it's on a little table we set up in the in the living room, and we play turn based chess where there's a little piece of paper we flip over on turns. And so we'll play a game of chess over like a week and a half, and she's kind of good. Like she can't get me, but it's not easy to get her. 
And chess is tough mm. like that anyway. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just it's just so much fun to do that kind of thing. Um, and so it, it got me thinking about how to do it differently with each kid. So now I'm trying to create game moments or hangout moments with each kid that can extend. So it's like we're touching base every day, but that's where the game is really nice. Like every day we're engaging each other's minds in this game, even though maybe we're passing ships a little bit at times. But then I'm trying to set up the same kind of scenario with them uh, one-on-one. Uh, and, and for Pete's sake, video games has been the tool. I finally figured out if I sit down and play video games with my kids, I talk to them for hours. It's like, wow, look at that. Um, that might be wrong, but I've got, I've got each of the boys on a different reading track now. So that's you cool. Know, Andrew's in high school, but we are about to, we're like in second to last chapter of the last book of the Harry Potter one. Oh, wow. It's like right in the middle. Of right it. there. Oh. Yeah. Well, don't let I this part that I'm about to spoil for you, ruin it for you. As I tell you, never mind. I won't. It's just, a I've read it before. So oh, you've I read it. So you know what's going on. But then, uh, Isaac, our youngest, who is a kind of our spindliest. He and I are reading the Hardy Boys. Oh, interesting. Okay, <laughs> it is the Hardy Boys. It's like these the perfect fifties. Yeah, right. Kind of, you know, the guys, but they're out there on the boat tracking down the smugglers, and they're doing stuff on their own, and they're not afraid. And the, like their dad is the I have I don't remember reading the Hardy Boys, but these guys, you know, they're just tough. Yeah, they're yeah, kind, yeah. They're smart. They're athletic. It's just the kind of you know the perfect picture of the. And I said, you know, that's not actually bad to put into a boy's head. Yeah, Captain America is a good role model. Captain America is a good role model. That's exactly right. Uh, There, there is something about that Americana image from the fifties that was genuinely first article good. Uh, There's something about it that was an idol. And And the pit. Well, there's this picture too that the boys are supposed to. You gotta. You gotta. Some things are risky. You know, not. Yeah. I mean, we have. We're so risk averse. Yeah. Uh, physically and and whatever else, So we got to be. That's the I, thing about raising boys is like you 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 have to let them do stupid things. Mm-hmm. That that is part of what men are good for. <laughs> and and so they have to figure out how to channel it a little bit, and they only do that to some extent by by trial and error. I mean, your goal is to keep the the thing that they're using that's sharp to do stuff from being so big and sharp it cuts off arms. But at the same time, you want them to learn how to use things that could cut off arms, right? Like like they should be able to use that if that's what they need to do. And that starts with using something small that cuts. It's terrifying though, man. My my son, uh, where did he get this? He came home with a pocket knife that he he wanted somewhere or something. It's actually a pretty nice knife. Uh, and he's like, you know, he's he's eight. Can I have this? And it's like, let's sit down and talk about this, son. Um, yes. And if it ever <laughs> does this, that, this, that, this, that, it's gone. Right? This ain't no toy. And if I ever see you playing with it, you lose it for a week. It's not for play. It's for use. So if you're going to bring it out, use it for something. And uh, he's been doing pretty well with that. But it's it's t- my boy's got a knife. <laughs> it's terrifying. What's he going to do? Uh, yeah, they're supposed to. You know, it's supposed to be standard carry. I know. Well, I finally started I don't, carrying. I don't one. have a. I used to carry a. I used to have a. a what's a, a Leatherman in my pocket all the time. I started carrying one, and the more I got, if if I remember, I want to use it at dinner because it's big enough and good enough for that. I've got a sharpener. It's made of a good type of steel. You know, uh, why not? And just just to be in the habit of it and have it be something that's like an extension of me. 
uh, I, I do use it to like open packages and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, but part of it for me also is just like you just said, standard carry, like, <laughs> well, this is such another issue, another topic. Like how do we start training men to be men as a church? I mean, we really got to get back to this at some point. Boy Scouts aren't going to do it at this point. Uh, what do we got? And I, I, I listened don't... to Al Moeller talk about the Boy Scouts yesterday. Uh, yeah, I bet you did. They're still but in the news. But it was interesting because because he's he's tracking this whole thing down because now they're they're shutting down. I mean, God. they they declared bankruptcy because, and they had all these scandals. Uh, but he he went back like he does to the beginning of the Boy Scouts and and realized that industrialization because it broke the pattern of the farm yeah and the boys working in the fields with the dad industrialization yeah. uh made a problem for for boys becoming men yes. especially in the cities and so forth and so they saw the problem and here was their solution you get boys uh out in the woods with men and you have a structured world around them and that will be good for them and in some ways, it's kind of, but now that solution is no longer there. It's been, it's, it was corrupted in two different directions. Mm. It was corrupt. It was corrupted by the, just by sin. And then it was corrupted by the corrosive nature of the sexual revolution. Mm-hmm. But the problem mm-hmm. is, and the problem has not gotten better. The problem is getting worse. So, yeah. We have no, no rite of passage as young as young men. So, so in many ways I'm 41 and I'm, I, I'm barely beginning to be able to allow myself to think of myself as a man in my internal monologue. And it is not because I've tried to stay a boy. Like there was no rite of passage wherever it was. I missed it. Right. And I don't think it's just me. This is why everyone's so upset. All oh, the men are all a bunch of boys these days. Yeah. There's a reason. You took away their risk, first off. Why do they like video games? Because they can risk. They can jump off a cliff, right? Uh, and and do so in ways which you wouldn't do in real life, but in real life, they'd be jumping off stuff, right? So you can't jump off stuff. Well, I'm going to jump off stuff in the video game. So in many ways, I think video games are a refuge for masculinity. Uh, and, and we hide in that for some reason. But then we don't ever, <laughs> dare I say the word, transition. Um, you know, we don't ever transition to, to manhood in this. And that's where, so for me, buying the pocket knife is sort of like my own attempts. Like, well, wait a minute here. Am I an adult male? Can I carry a pocket knife? Well, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn how to use it. Right. And it's pretty pathetic to, to like have that be my rite of passage. I don't know that it is per se, you, but then you remember, uh, you remember laughing at me because this is published down in the book that I told you that when I went to Israel, I went for two reasons, Yes, and, but one of them was to become a man. Yes. But, it's but a, I was reading all this anthropology stuff. I went to going to college about the anthropology, and they were making that same point back then that there was no right of. I mean, they'd send the kids out in Africa to fight a lion. Right and now, what do we do? Right, just, they scare them, around. they kidnap them, and take them away in the middle of the night. Uh, yeah, all that kind of thing. What do we so do? I, I was, there's just a walking around Israel by myself for three months, or and you gotta. There's some. I mean, there wasn't probably that much risk. I mean, now I do it without even thinking about it. Yeah, but, but you know, there's you more got, risk you now than there, there was in the then. World and, there's more risk the, now. But there's a weird thing too that one of the problems that we have in, in this whole thing is that there's a safety net that's in that part of the internet is a, is is that it becomes a safety net. So it's very hard now, for example, to j- just get lost. 
you know, you always can find where you are with your phone or whatever. So that we have so many sort of safety nets. We have this obsession with that safety is that it's, it's just tough to actually find yourself in a risky situation. It's not really risky. Right. I mean, the, right. The, if you find yourself in a situation now, it's really, really bad. Right. So there's no kind of mediocre. So where do you learn like courage, right? Where do you learn courage then? You don't have a training ground for it. And then you find yourself in fear effectively when you get to a real problem. Um, I want to I want to push back on uh, – did you get this from Moeller, the Industrial Revolution, boys working with dad? So that's sort of the video game thing for me now too because – but I, but I want more. But, but I realized like when I sit down and I play a game with my son for two hours, my son and I are, in, are intercoursing. We're engaging each other. There's a lot of conversation because this isn't just like loop-de-loo video game. Like this is we're a team. We're working together on stuff, and it's hard. And so we have to we have to engage intellectually on this. And it got me thinking about this very idea. And I don't I don't know how it was such a tangent, but like what the kid really needs is just to be with me all day long. But the modern world won't let me do that. And so what we do is we've industrialized education for the kids. We put them on an assembly line, and we hope that that will make them people, right? And we bring in the bacon to to make it you know, when we're allowed to the vegan bacon. Uh, we bring that in, uh, and that, that assembly line then it isn't working. We know that, but how do we get the kid off the assembly line? Homeschool is sort of maybe an attempt, although most homeschools are very still assembly line driven in their in their thinking. Um, but then, you know, it, it, it's impossible to have an eight-year-old boy with me all day long. I would love it if he was sitting right here and I could point to him, right? Imagine what kind of training that would be. It, you wouldn't necessarily get all the the reading, writing, arithmetic out of stuff, but for human engagement and planning and thought. But then he'd have to sit there and watch me, like, work on a computer <laughs> too, right? Like, how exciting. And the more I would talk about it, the less I'd get done. So there's that side of it too. It's a real pickle, man. Um, boys need to be with their fathers. Though. I'm, I'm just, duh. But geez, convince me. There's another old idea. That I'm, I like this because you reminded me of all my old ideas. But um, that we are on adventure. I mean, one of the things I'm trying to recover is a theology, is the adventure of theology. But one of the ways we can get there is that we got to understand the picture to be able to understand the text. And so, so for us now, especially to get to where I can see the picture involves an adventure yeah and it's good to just go on those adventures and to take the kids with me so so for example like i don't know that a sheep without it before it shears is silent so what does that look like well i gotta go find guys shearing sheep and that's gonna be some sort of adventure to go and, and find them and track it down and do it and so why don't i go to find out what that looks like so i can understand the biblical picture and why don't i take the boys with me to try to to try to find the pictures with my own eyes right right that's what that's the value of the travels you do too, right? Uh, when you go to Israel and all that, is you're just you're able to see the story, um, which is a luxury, right? It's a luxury, um, but not not evil for that reason. Luxury is good, actually, just like the definition. Um, we're we're about at time here as far as you signed up for your time with me, so I want to respect that, and then I want to say we didn't talk about every book and haven't forever, and we probably should, especially since I'm like using it less these days i'm still using paper but i'm like really transforming but that's a whole nother conversation yeah you look how thick yours is that's where mine was and i couldn't i don't know i'll, I'll, I, I'll i want uh, more time to think about it i was out of sorts 
for six months, you know, in the transition and the move and everything. And one of the things that I did over Christmas was I sort of, I rebooted a bunch of stuff and uh, had time to think about things. And one of the things that came together was the, my Everbook it came all back together again in a, in a beautiful way. And that um, it's really good. Uh, one of the things, I mean, I'm, so I'm trying to log stuff more now every day. And one of the things that I started is, is um, each week now I'm just on a big nine and a half by 11 um, uh, page. Folded I'm four printing times. out the, the scripture text in the center. Now, so we're on radio, but I can show you this. So a nine and a half and 11 scripture in the center, and I can fold that up and put it in my ever book. So, so now as I'm sitting there getting, waiting for coffee or whatever, I've got the lectionary text and I'm, this is, this is how I'm doing it. I'm making notes for the text and then I fold over the outside and then I'm outlining my sermon. That's pretty sweet. I can see that. I can see that. So it's, uh, so I've got, a, I've got my new, so I've got three or four Bible passages that I'm always wrestling with. So I got to go on the sharper iron, you know, your old radio show on Friday morning. So that's there. And then, uh, they I got call you for Thessalonians that? on issues, et cetera, next week. And so I've got the whole book of Thessalonians. Wow. There. That's a lot of work just to lay that out, man. Well, no, it's two templates, and it's just copy and paste from Logos. So it takes three minutes. It's really quite nice. Oh, that's nice. And um, and so so I so want to. Here's here's my thing though. Okay, me back. I'm liking what you're doing. So here's the thing. I I believe that Everbook is a different concept than you and I initially envisioned. What it really is, and what its skill is, is not a system. Uh, it is a framework for a system, which is a self-manufactured container for paper, <laughs> right? With as much freedom to do as you want with it as possible. And when we look at like the the what when Everbook was as a kind of a minor marketing thing happening, what was it that people grasped onto and loved the most? It wasn't buying Everbook. It was making their own Everbook and all the hacks and pieces that go into that. And so for me, like that's what I'm doing now is I, I've been using your Everbook with GDD effectively. And I'm realizing it's not – I don't deal as well with that much captured information in paper. It distracts me. So I need less in paper and more in reference on the computer. Um but I still need paper. So so that's kind of the, the new question is, so what is my Everbook going to be and what does it look like? And and I my goal is to get the whole thing on a notepad and never have anything but the notepad and the cover that holds the notepad. But there will be so much more. I, but I'm not ready to really talk about it. But I think I, that's what I want you to just ponder is like Everbook is – Everbook is not a product. Everbook is the belief that we need paper to think. And, and we got to figure out ways to enable creative people to do that without blocking them into a, n a non-creative or a creation-killing structure. Does that make sense? Yep. That's what you're doing. But we haven't really ever talked about it in those terms. Um, so for what that's worth, we should come back to that at some point. I also wanted to talk with you about closed communion and how we, we need a new phrase for closed communion, something that sounds really cool. Um, like you want to be in this communion. We should call it that. You want to be in this communion. That's what we practice here. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I want to talk about that. We don't have time. You got to go. You're smiling at me. You're just enduring me. 
Okay. No, it's I I, <laughs> I I still am meditating on your idea that you put forth that says, what if close communion is the best tool that we have? Yes, that's part and of it. I think I've been thinking about this idea is that close communion means that we have not given up. Uh, everyone else has given up yeah. the fight for a unity of doctrine. Huh. And they've just laid down their arms and they've conceded to the idea that everything we say is opinion. And here we are banging around the battlefield saying, no, no, we can't stop fighting for this. We can't stop fighting for unity of doctrine. But everyone, So that open communion is a form of despair. And closed communion is, is holding on to hope against hope that the church will one day be one again. And uh, I'm just writing down I, what you're saying because it's so genius. So keep going. And so this is a, this is, I think this idea to recover is that when we practice closed communion, as hard as it is, because it's hard to fight, as hard as it is, it is that we're still clinging to hope that the prayer that Jesus prayed to the father, that we would be one as he and the father are one, that the Lord will still answer that prayer. And so, I mean, it's, it's like, it's like still holding on to marriage when everyone is just common law now, Yeah, we're still holding on to hope. Right. That there's still something that the Lord will still answer the prayer. And uh, and everyone's getting tired of the of the of the fight. But, the, the, you know, we we just we are not authorized to despair. We yeah. are not authorized. That's good, too. Uh, to lay down the arm. That's true. If you ever read a devotional book, just call it. You are not authorized to despair. I'm writing that one down, too. That's really good. <laughs> Dude, you got good stuff. All right. So I'm going to do you a favor and not do the end of conversation with you here. Thank you. Hey, so I hope you really enjoyed that conversation with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. If you want to find more, you can find his stuff at www.wolfmuller.co, wolfmuller.co. That'll get you there. He also is pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. As for me, Without Flesh has hit the shelves. I hope you've ordered your copy. I hope you've read it already. I've got good feedback from you that it is well worth it. So I can honestly say... If you haven't bought it, you need to buy Without Flesh, Why the Church is Dying Even Though Jesus is Alive. The Mad Mondays newsletter, you heard it mentioned during the podcast. You definitely want to check this out. It is going to become the what on earth is going on in the world that I missed from a mad Christian perspective place to go. Of course, it's also being published on the .com, com. You can send contacts there. You can also find links to Patreon there. Patreon is how all this happens per show, per podcast. It makes all the rest of it function and run, the YouTube and all that. Ah, stickers? You heard them mentioned. We'll see if they ever get out there. But if they do, it's going to be because I have enough aid, both from my marvelous volunteer staff, the Dark Agents, but also from you to finance those endeavors. Yes? All right. So Patreon is how the show runs around. You can find those links in the show notes below at the .com, .com. Sign up for the newsletter there. Get it in your inbox. Get into the books. Not an old book, the new book, Without Flesh, which maybe will push you back to that old book by Herman Sasse, Lonely Way. Who knows? Otherwise, uh, well, I'm going to see you soon enough because Saturday Morning Chill is coming. In the meantime, my friends, don't wallow in the muck and rock on. Uh. 
trigger warning. This ain't a safe space. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? <laughs>